Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm talking to Eva, who is an artist, intersectional feminist and a Parisian working mother of three teenagers. Eva is 41 years old and has been struggling with bulimia for 23 years for most of her adult life. She's tried every possible method to seek recovery from science-based approaches to the more obscure but remained very stuck for a long time in destructive cycles of bulimia. However, around 18 months ago, Eva discovered some coaching tools, mainly inspired by CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, plus adding in her own somatic tools in the recovery process. And this has subsequently led her to a breakthrough in her own recovery. So in experiencing this breakthrough, she began to understand that the discomfort experienced during the urges to binge and purge were natural body signals and sensations. And previously it had felt fatal and almost catastrophic to allow herself to experience these. Bulimia had been a coping mechanism through this, but Eva has learned not only that she can survive living through this discomfort, but that life can be so much easier in leaning into this, surviving it, whilst alongside learning how to cultivate self-compassion. Eva is passionate about supporting others now in bulimia recovery. And despite decades of treatment development research in treating bulimia, there is still so much significant room for improvement as nearly 60% of those with bulimia do not achieve remission treatment for multiple reasons, including treatment dissemination, access, and cost. So Eva believes in a more trans-diagnostic approach, and she treats each person as unique in their experience and story. In her coaching work, she draws on evidence-based research in neuroscience and psychology. She supports her clients alongside therapists and doctors, and she truly believes that coaching is complementary to this process and offers such a powerful tool to help people become empowered in their recovery and take back their lives. Eva offers active listening guidance to those who are willing to get help with bulimia, and she teaches them how to stop shaming themselves and to practice self-compassion. I'm really looking forward to talking with Eva today, to hear more about her journey, to understand more about the recent recovery breakthroughs that she's experienced and to appreciate further the work that she is doing with women today. Let's get to the conversation. Hi, Eva, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi, Ariette. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, so, Eva, can I get you first, please, to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah. So my name is Eva. I live in France. I'm 41 years old. I'm a mom of three and I'm working. I also started helping women who have bulimia about 18 months ago. And I've been in bulimia myself for 23 years and I've recovered. So now that's what I love to do. Oh, brilliant. Thank you for that introduction, Eva. Yeah, no, I'm really struck by you've obviously like suffered from bulimia for such a significant part of your life and, you know, most of your adulthood. So, yeah, could you just tell us a bit about your story about, you know, when you first came to develop it and how it has sort of evolved or, you know, transitioned over the years? 
Yes, of course. So I believe I've had, you know, kind of eating disorders before I developed really bulimia. But let's say bulimia started after many years of dieting. I started dieting around probably 10 by a pediatrician. And then over the years, I was losing and gaining weight. It was never enough. So one day, I believe I saw a movie and the girl was throwing up. So I was like, oh, maybe that's an option for me since nothing is working. And that's where I got the idea of, you know, getting rid of all the food, which is a very bad idea. (laughs) And so it stayed with me for the 23 years. Obviously, I tried many times. First of all, I was really ashamed of myself, of not being capable, you know, of eating kind of normally and keeping my weight low as expected by my family and society. And so I was keeping it to myself until I decided to talk to doctors and to therapists and to try many different things, but nothing really worked with me. So, I mean, I improved some things over the years, but I never got rid of the binging and purging parts until 18, about like maybe 18 months ago. Yeah. Mm. It's incredibly inspiring, I think, to hear that, you know, obviously you've struggled with, you struggled with food issues for such a long time. And like, I just really feel for you being put on a diet at the age of 10, you know, and how damaging, you know, that must have been for your relationship with food. But I think it's incredible to hear that, you know, after living with some with chronic bulimia for so many years that you have been able to come out the other side. I think it's just so hopeful and inspiring for people to hear that. Yeah, that's why I'm also willing to share that. And what's really kind of funny is that I was so ashamed of being bulimic my whole life that I was like, until the day I die, I will never tell anyone I've had bulimia because I was so ashamed. And since I overcame it, I'm like, no, I want to share. I want to talk more openly about it because I want to help like women. I mean, people generally, but for me, especially women, you know, de-shame themselves from having bulimia. And so my first message is, yeah, being an example of what's possible, no matter, you know, what people choose to do. Just to know that even after such a long time, it's always possible to reverse bulimia. Mm. Yeah, well, it's, I think just so hopeful for so many people just to hear that. So Eva, could you say like, you know, I know you sort of tried so many different things on this journey, um, you know, from sort of scientific based treatments to sort of, you know, slightly more kind of weird and out there treatments. So could you tell us a bit about that journey and maybe what things particularly were helpful for you, even if they didn't bring about the actual full recovery and change? Yes, of course. So first of all, I want to say that, so I said I'm 41. So 20 years ago, bulimia treatments were not what they are today, right? It was mostly more about your mom's fault or, you know, some member of your family's fault, or we had to find someone, you know,'s guilt (laughs) for Mm -hmm. me being bulimic. But I mean, it changed over the years. So that part didn't help me. And I didn't do that a lot with therapy. I've tried also, I was very resistant to taking medications because I've had like bad idea of what medication could do to people. I mean, I had a very bad opinion 
for personal reasons, and I overcame those reasons. I will tell more about this, if you will, a little bit later. So in the beginning, I was not willing to take any treatment. And I've tried so personal therapy, I've tried group therapy. Group therapy was terrific for me. It was horrific, I mean, because it was in a group where we were supposed to say all the things and the lady would shame us and say that we need to, you know, be awakened by her. And she was being really tough with us and be like, okay, now you have to stop. And it never worked. I did that for a year. And she was a therapist, which is very weird, but not everyone is like that. Thank goodness. I've also tried different diets because I was so convinced that the carbs, you know, when I was binging, Mm -hmm. like probably most people who binge, I used to binge on all the food I would not allow myself to eat, you know, the rest of the time, which include many times carbs, carbs and fat. And so I thought carbs caused my binges. And so I went into diets such as ketos or just keto diet or so basically for people who don't know, only eating fat and it didn't work. I tried only eating vegetables. It didn't work. And along the way, I lost weight. I took it back. I lost muscle. I lost nutrients. I lost confidence. (laughs) I've lost (laughs) lots of things. And so what has been helpful? Okay, listen, therapy has been helpful, not for bulimia, but for other aspects of my life. So I'm really grateful I found people who were really kind and open-minded and judgment-free so I could talk to them but it never really helped with bulimia, but it was still helpful. I mean, I would say that nothing worked, but everything I tried helped a little bit to improve my life in its way, if that's clear. So Mm. probably that's all I would say. Okay, I want to say something is that often people ask me right now, okay, what happened? When did it click? After the 23 years, when did you realize it was over? And I want to tell something, and I want people to know that there's not one specific thing. I believe Mm -hmm. we all have our journeys, right? And I believe it's the 23 years I've been spending probably healing myself that allowed me to eventually understand something, you know, Mm -hmm. 18 months ago. I wouldn't say that something clicked all of a sudden with a magic formula that doesn't work that way, you know. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I think we often often wish, don't we, that there was a magic formula. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but it, it sounds like, I guess, although all those different treatments and different things that you tried and your own personal development, nothing, you know, was the solution or the magic bullet, was it? But I guess you were kind of, you were sort of shifting along the road, weren't you, of becoming probably more self-aware and understanding yourself and, you know, yeah, you were on that journey, weren't you? So almost like, it's interesting, it happened 18 months ago that, you know, that you were able to perhaps almost take a leap to another stage of recovery. But I guess there was so much preparation work, wasn't there, going on before that. It wasn't like it happened out of nowhere. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's exactly what happened. That's what I believe. In the beginning, I was like, no, this is what I'm doing currently that's helping me. And I was like, no, actually, it's what I've done during the past, you know, decades that have, you know, helped me come to this point where I could, yeah, have bring this awareness and be capable of cultivating self-compassion and be willing to face some of my feelings, right? Mm, yeah. Sure. So before we get on to sort of talking a bit more about some of that, I'm just wondering about the sort of nutritional side and like the kind of regular eating, you know, getting your body physiology in a much more stable state and like eliminating forbidden foods, that side of things like did the change for you in terms of being able to make that sort of almost the leap almost into like true recovery was the sort of nutritional side an important component of that or not? No, for me, not at all. I mean, okay. over the years, I have tried to implement and reintroduce all the foods I was not eating in the past. And none of this, I mean, it helped me in my everyday life, enjoy some foods without purging them, which was lovely, but yeah. it didn't help me for the binging and purging parts. I truly believe, but that's an opinion. That's not science. <laughs> I truly, yeah. like, I have this opinion that bulimia is not about the food you eat. It's about what's going on in the brain. And I could as well have been drinking alcohol or taking drugs. Mm -hmm. I believe it's really a coping mechanism. So it has little to do with food. The food part is has more to do with beliefs and habits we have built over the years. And of course, when you don't have enough nutrients, but it's not, mm -hmm. I mean, without going into too many details, you could, you know, you could crave some things and it could, you know, influence, of course, some of the cravings and binges. But for me, no, the nutritional part was not what really helped me recover. It was more about probably knowing that I wouldn't die from thinking certain thoughts and feeling certain feelings in my body. And I believe we're never taught how to feel our feelings, even if it sounds so simple. We're kind of thinking machines, but we're never settling really and breathing and trying to understand and just, you know, let things happen in our own bodies. Mm. It sounds like for you almost, actually like allowing yourself to feel those feelings that you'd always be like terrified of what would happen if you you know lent into those feelings and actually experienced them but actually mm. allowing yourself to do that was a really important part was it of the healing process like almost being able to survive those feelings yeah absolutely I mean feeling the feelings I mean for me, it's about really healing relationally with other people and with myself. I could not express an opinion. I could not take space in a room, in a conversation. I was always hiding, people-pleasing. I was trying to satisfy everyone but me. So mm. all the things I was keeping, you know, for myself and holding myself from expressing, I was binging and purging them, kind mm. of. It's a metaphor, yeah. but kind of. And so at a certain point, I allowed myself to 
talk more and more and take more space and more confidence. But the hardest part was to take that space within myself and within my body and allow my body to express fear, anger, lots of anger and be like, okay, now you're going to be safe. You're safe right? You're having the signals that, you know, there is agitation, but you're not in danger. It happens and it's going to be okay. And I mean, you know, like I'm really making it short, but it's the process I have used. Mm. And it sounds like it started a bit more actually perhaps being able to express feelings with others even before you were able to do that even, you know, more like just really tuning into yourself I mean I think the the two are a bit overlapping aren't they but I'm wondering like was it sort of an incremental process of just almost allowing yourself you know for the first time just to recognize maybe oh look I'm pleasing in this situation and actually you know this isn't really Yeah. yeah so did you almost like did you sort of consciously set out to kind of think okay right I'm gonna tune in and I'm going to listen to myself a bit more or did it, you know, how did that process work? I guess. No, you're right. It's something that seems so mysterious for many people, <laughs> but mm. it's true. When you're not tuning into like yourself and when you're very, you're kind of hyper vigilant to other people's reaction and needs and ever to your own, it's weird to say, but it has though I had no idea of who I was, what what my identity was, what I like, what were the flavors Mm -hmm. I liked, if I wanted to say yes or no into um, conversations. And so I was constantly adjusting. So asking myself those basic questions such as, what do you want right now? What's going on? Why are you feeling so agitated? Why is my heart racing right now? Why am I feeling so hot? You know, like, why am I sweating when I'm talking to this person? And I never realized those things. And when it happened to me in the past, I would just hide and be like, oh, like, I'm so ridiculous for sweating or for being agitated or for, you know, just Mm -hmm. fidgeting. And I went from this place of judgment progressively Mm -hmm. over time to this place of awareness and judgment-free being like probably more accepting who I was and what was going on. And sometimes I didn't enjoy it, but I was like, okay, we're going to flow with this. It's okay. You're going to be all right. Mm. Sure. So it sounds like you were, yeah, able to sort of almost slow down and be with yourself more, weren't you? And almost being a bit like that compassionate parent towards yourself. And you're allowing yourself to tune in, weren't you? And being curious and just being able to kind of listen to maybe what was going on and rather than shutting that down, like you might've done in the past and thought, oh, I'm ridiculous or there's something wrong with me. You were able to just begin to sort of nurture yourself and listen and then think about what you needed maybe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually, I believe bulimia is a distraction from your thoughts and feelings. I would not recommend that kind of distraction. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) it's the one I found. I mean, it has been really helpful. So I do not regret what has happened. It was not my fault. It was just the way I was coping with life and emotions. So right now, I don't guilt myself anymore for, you know, having had bulimia for so long. But I believe I was trying to distract myself from 
what was going on within me because I didn't like who I was. And now I'm like, I'm curious. Who am I really? What can I bring? How can I communicate with people? How, yeah, how can I pace myself and slow down and tune in to feel more, you know, serene? Mm. So do you almost feel like the last 18 months, I mean, and pre that, I know it hasn't just been the last 18 months, but yeah. do, you feel like, do you feel like you've almost been getting to know yourself properly for the first time, you know, to know your likes and dislikes, what you think about things, how you feel about things? Has it been a journey of sort of self-exploration and learning? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, I have to say something. It hasn't been linear in this mm. honeymoon phase. I want to tell a bit of the story. So in the mm. beginning, when I discovered like all the tools I'm using, I was so excited to be like, okay, my dream before I stopped binging and purging has most of the women I meet and help was to stop binging and purging. And I was like, my life will be like a dream if I just stop <laughs> binging and purging. I know that. I know that <laughs> ahead of time. I know. <laughs> so I was like, I never managed to stop binging and purging for one day in my life before like 18 months ago, right? I couldn't. Yeah. And I was like, if it could happen to me just for a bit of a time, I would be so grateful. And I believe it's going to transform my life. I won't need anything, you know, yeah. else. And this is not what happened. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, okay, so I stopped binging and purging because I kind of made a deal with myself where I would not binge and purge for a hundred times. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you do it for multiple times a day, it goes really kind of fast. I mean, it's days and days, but it's very satisfying. And the thing is that I have been able to eventually manage that physical part, the symptoms. But yeah. what I have not imagined before doing it is that those symptoms were helping me just like I would say an antidepressant would help you like with your mind, it was really pacing me. So when I would have binges and purges, I would feel calm again. And mm -hmm. so I had stopped binging and purging. And what I did not expect is that after stopping binging and purging, I started having anxiety, lots and lots of anxiety. And I do not mm -hmm. believe I had more anxiety than before stopping binging and purging. I just noticed that it was manifesting because I didn't have any new tools to deal with it, right? Yeah. So I was like, okay, we're not going back to binging and purging. It's not the tools you want to use now because you know better. But I had to go to another level of introspection and be like, okay, what am I going to do? And so even though I was not, it's very recent, but even though I was not very much for medication, because of all the bad opinion I had about it, and it's not founded on anything, you know, I mean, I respect a lot doctor's work and antidepressant and all kinds of medication. It was just a personal preference, right? And so I chose after having had severe anxiety to take antidepressants, and it has helped me a lot with the anxiety that's aroused mm -hmm. after stopping binging and purging. And... I'm sharing that because we shall never be afraid to change our minds mm. and 
to help ourselves with different tools if it can help us. Mm. I think it's such a great point, isn't it? That although it's obviously quite a maladaptive, not helpful coping strategy, binging and purging is a way of kind of soothing, distracting, numbing, isn't it? When that's taken away, of course, it's going to leave a bit of a void, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just makes so much sense, I guess, that suddenly all this anxiety, which you was, I guess, there all the time, wasn't it? But suddenly it's all come to the surface. Yeah. And then I guess finding those new tools as well, you know, that's a process, isn't it? And it takes time just to be able to really regulate your nervous system and learn to self-soothe in constructive ways. And it sounds like medication has been a, you know, an important stepping stone with that really to help you on that journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So medication, of course, is not I mean, medication on its own can help if someone does not have access to therapy or any other kind of help. But ideally, medication is really helpful when it's associated to another kind of help, therapy or coaching or any kind of help where you're going to speak and, you know, be able to talk to someone about what's going on and process whatever you have, whether it's trauma or not trauma or just bad experience or you know, anxiety, but I, I truly believe the association of the two can be helpful for lots of people, not everyone, right? Not everyone, Mm. but we may want to try if it works at some Mm. point. Yeah, no, absolutely. And can you say a bit more about kind of some of the work you've done on sort of like, you know, calming your nervous system and learning new ways of soothing? And because I know that's been an important part of your process, hasn't it? Yes, it has been. So in the past, I had been doing lots of yoga and meditation. And I had always been finding all these kinds of calm moments, very, you know, soothing. And so I realized when I stopped binging and purging, and I made this deal I talked about with myself where I would not binge and purge no matter what. So I was basically lying on the bed and looking at the ceiling and be like, okay, this is awful, and but we're getting through this and we're not going to binge and not going to purge, right? And so day after day, I was enduring these moments without being able in the beginning to pace myself and to be like feeling calm. It would last for a very long time, but I was so determined to get over this, right? And at a certain point, I reached for some help And someone who was, yeah, working with, you know, helping like soothing ourselves and calming the nervous system. And so I was showed through meditations and different sessions how to breathe and calm myself and put my hand on my chest and repeat to myself, I could feel safe. This worked for me. I still want to say it's better not to do it on your own. It doesn't work for everyone. Some people with trauma cannot, you know, find safety within themselves. So nothing is wrong Mm. with them. I want to say that because Mm. it's a digression, but I want to say it. During the 23 years I've tried, you know, so many things, I thought I was broken because nothing would work with me. And I want to say we're not resistant to treatments the treatment are not adapted to everyone. So keep Mm. trying whatever would work for you until it does. And so, 
Yeah, I started doing relaxation and breathing exercises, but I wanted to keep it simple. So I've learned from different methods and people, but I kept it very simple because I wanted to be very practical, you know, be small chunks that people could apply in their everyday lives. And, you know, such as touching something or putting the hand on the solar plexus, breathing and with a certain tempo and, you know, feeling a sense of safety if they could and all that. Yeah, that's how I brought my body back to more calm. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think it's just such an important part of the process, isn't it? Because I think when you've had bulimia or another eating disorder, your nervous system is often in a state of fight and flight quite often, isn't it? And it's very hard Mm -hmm. to access that soothing without using disordered eating behaviours. You know, that's become the way to soothe, hasn't it? The way to try and cope. Yeah. So it's challenging, isn't it? To sort of like, you know, to almost kind of like retrain yourself or kind of even learning that for the first time, maybe if, you know, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, you're totally right. In the beginning, it's not like what you see on social media or the pictures. It's not about, yeah, take a deep inhale and exhale and the magic happens. You have to repeat that like lots and lots of time. And I would say that you want to believe it before it really works. You want to believe the things and tell yourself, okay, you could, for example, something very simple. You want to find a place in your head or imagine a place in your head where you could really feel safe, whether it's room in your house or it's a place outside or whatever. But you want to remember like a moment, a place where you could feel safe and Mm -hmm. bring back that safety within your body. And over time and practice, and I would say, being, you know, with someone who could help you do the work because we're scared in the beginning. We're like, okay, I cannot do this alone. Just like a little child, you know, who would be Mm. lost in this flight or fight zone (laughs) and in the turbulence zone. So we need that person who is going to be very compassionate and be there to make us you know, get to the safety place within our bodies. And I believe that's so, so helpful being connected to our bodies, especially when we have had bulimia. Mm. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And I think it's such a great point, isn't it? That sometimes you might need that support of having that other compassionate person with you or guiding you to help you take those steps to begin with, because it might just feel very scary to an unsafe being in your own body and being on your own and managing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when you have bulimia, you're like dissociate from your body. So I have told myself recently that this capacity to binge and to purge and to be so violent with your own body And ignoring all the signals of like the stomach hurts and the heartburns and whatever happens when you're throwing up and all the consequences and be like so tough and I'm not feeling anything. I just want some relief shows like how much you've separated yourself from your body. So being capable of telling yourself, okay, listen, you're going to be okay. It's going to be fine. But. I know you have never 
you know, learn it this way. So you need time and patience and lots and lots of compassion. So that's truly important. The bodily part is essential with bulimia recovery. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. And I think just hearing you talk as well and how you might speak to yourself in those moments, I can really see how you have developed that you know, understanding and compassion and kindness towards yourself. And it's just so helpful, isn't it? You know, I think like you're sort of saying in a way, when we're in the midst of bulimia, it's kind of quite a sort of violent, destructive act, isn't it? And we're so disconnected and so judgmental. But yeah, being able to kind of come back more into the body, being able to kind of talk in a much more compassionate way really, really helps. Yeah, it does, definitely. So what else as well for you ever has helped you? Like I think I've read somewhere about as well, you mentioned about cognitive behavior therapy as well. And, you know, do you want to say a little bit more about that, how you've kind of integrated that into your process? Yeah, so I've been reaching for coaching and learning myself coaching, and it was mostly based on CBT, right? So cognitive behavioral therapy. And the principles were that, I mean, you know the principles, but I'm just explaining for Mm. those who don't. So your thoughts create your feelings and your feelings like lead to an action and you get a certain result. And by rewiring your brain, kind of modifying that certain thoughts from a very like negative thoughts to a more neutral one. And over time, maybe over a more positive one, but positive is not compulsory, right? you could change some of your behaviors and certain circumstances. Now, CBT has also proved lots of benefits in bulimia treatments. It's not 100%, of course, but it has shown like great results for at least 40% of the people who have tried it. So it's Mm -hmm. truly helpful. I believe there is not, right now, there is no one ideal treatment What's interesting is to see who's in front of you, what background they have, because bulimia is, to me, only a small part of someone's life. They could have another, you know, psychiatric illness or a disorder, which is totally fine. And I mean, fine, and they could get help with that, but it's only a small part of it. So CBT is great, but to me, is not enough. It doesn't cover up all the situations. And we cannot help everyone telling them to just change their thoughts, although it's very helpful. Mm -hmm. And I love CBT, but it doesn't do the job for everyone. (laughs) So we have to have kind of a tool. I mean, as a coach, I'm not a therapist, but we want to have a toolbox to have a great knowledge of what's possible and adapt it to guide the people going through certain suffering and situation and, you know, bring them to more compassion for themselves. Mm. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And is there anything else particularly as well? Like it sounds like there's a lot of work on you know, self-compassion and, you know, slowing down, breathing, connecting with the body, some cognitive behavior therapy. Are there any other, I mean, I know, I'm sure there's so many elements, aren't there? And it's very individual as well to the person, but is there any other sort of particular area that you would almost certainly cover if you're working with someone, you know, in recovery from bulimia? 
Yeah, definitely. I always work about relations. So with relation, relations, not only that's why I said before healing relationally, it's usually the relationship when you don't feel good with yourself, you're rejecting yourself, but you're also behaving in a way that is oblivious, but in a way that is not always ideal or easy for people to communicate with you. So you're generally in a very bad place and people with bulimia, whether they have a family or not, or people around them feel very lonely, isolated. And so I teach them how to communicate with clarity, how to be more assertive. That's a great part of the work we're doing. I do not Mm -hmm. focus on nutrition. I mean, people could easily Mm -hmm. reach nutritionists or dietitians if they wish, Mm -hmm. but that's not what my work is about. And I help them, yeah, in relationships, whether it's at work, at home, with their, you know, siblings, whatever, even, you know, like drama with the mother, father, whatever. I believe it's essential. We as humans are wired to be connected to one another. There's no such thing as like, you know, living on your own and feeling confident just on your own. It's about relations. And if you have an environment where you could thrive and talk easily to people and feel the love, because usually we're loved, but we do not feel it because Mm -hmm. of the lack of communication, then, you know, we make up all these stories in our heads and believe that our siblings or, you know, close ones don't love us as much as we'd like to, or, and we misinterpret what their words or behaviors. And so I truly, truly love authentic, genuine communication and to gather people again and be like, actually, Mm. you're saying the same thing, but just not the same way. Let's make it work. Mm. Oh, that's so powerful. (laughs) It just makes me think like, this is the stuff we need to be like taught in schools, isn't it? This is the stuff that's like so important. (laughs) I know. I wish we could teach that to everyone, actually, everyone. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, and it's such a key component, isn't it? I think, yeah, just being able to communicate. And I love the way, actually, that you're just saying there in a way that I think, you know, often people are loved, aren't they, within a family, but it's the communication that breaks down. And then the stories we tell ourselves, the miscommunication, Mm. the way things are interpreted. And then we have these great big barriers between us. And yeah, but actually starting to build those bridges again and getting the communication going, incredibly healing. So Eva, do you actually do then as well? Say if you were working with a client, might you get like their parent or partner or someone along to a session as well as part of the coaching? Right now, I have not done that. I have really been focusing on, since I was not trained for that, I prefer not to because, you know, when the coachee is like trusting you, it's weird. I believe therapists do the same. It's not always easy to get the siblings or I mean, Mm. except maybe if it's a couple therapy or for teenagers, I don't take teenagers, but for teenagers, it's nice to have family therapy. It could help, especially with, you know, interactions and, but mostly the women that I work with are around like 30, 40 something, or even, you know, beyond. And so they like their privacy and 
I believe they don't even always tell their partner they're having coaching around bulimia. So this is not something I have done, but it could be a good idea if someone wants to launch something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true, isn't it? And I think, you know, I think as well, working with the individual and if the individual is improving communication and becoming more assertive, their relationships are going to change, aren't they? There's still so much power in that. Yeah. Um, so Eva, <laughs> where can people find you if they want to know more about the work you do, if they want to reach out to you, like, you know, where's a good place to get in touch with you? Okay, so I have an Instagram account. The website is coming, but it's not mm-hmm. there yet. So there is my Instagram account called Reverse. Do you want me to spell it or will you put it in the notes? Put it um, in the notes. Okay, right. So it's orally, it's Reverse underscore bulimia underscore with underscore Eva, E-V-A. And you can find and contact me there. I also have an email and it's the same address at Gmail. Com. And I would love to help you. <laughs> mm. Well, I'm sure actually that a lot of people will really want to reach out to you ever. Because I think as well, you know, I myself am someone who has recovered from bulimia. But sometimes I feel like, you know, I've been gratefully, I'm very thankful. And I've been recovered now for, you know, a long time. Wow. And sometimes I feel so far removed from you know, obviously I have strong memories of being in the depths of it and very dark times, but I've been in a different place for a long time. And I think there is a lot of value, like hearing your story and, you know, you're kind of recently kind of getting out the trenches, aren't you? And, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but, you know, I think there's something very wonderful and authentic about that because of in a way you really, you've got a very clear memory of it and it's not so far away and you are, you know, you're in that kind of eyes wide open place of recovery where you're massively tuned in. And I think, you know, there's something really, you know, incredible about that. And I think, you know, your story and the work you're doing will resonate with many people and really encourage them and give them a lot of hope. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, actually, most of the people who reach to me, so far mostly from mouth to ear, are people who are inspired by my story. I mean, story not alone is not enough. You have to, you know, work on the topics then and, you know, to get a solid knowledge and to get teachings. But sometimes some people have tried so many things that having an inspiration is crucial for them. And knowing that, you know, what I was telling myself recently when I was looking at social media, I was like, we're oftentimes showing like these young ladies. I mean, since I'm 41, even 30 for me is young. But I mean, these young ladies who are recovered, but they have had bulimia for two, three years or even teenagers. That's, of course, lots of suffering. But there are lots and lots of women out there, even men, but I work with women, women out there who are even beyond 40, beyond 50, beyond 60, Mm. and who are still in bulimia. And knowing that someone of your age or even a little younger, but who has been suffering as much as you did over, you know, decades can be essential. And that inspirational part is really important so I'm grateful I can offer that yeah no well thank you and I think 
I know from my own journey, just believing that recovery was possible and having hope was such an important part of the process. So, you know, I'm hugely grateful for you, you know, coming on the podcast today, sharing your story and really instilling that message and very, very powerfully. So, yeah, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love your work and I believe you're a blessing for the community. So thank you so much for what you do. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Eva. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation and do go and check out all of Eva's details in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do see me on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. I'm still running my promotion on my 10 Steps to Intuitive Eating course. And with the code QUEEN, you get 50% off. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm-hmm.